0: You're listening to the Franchise Freedom Podcast with Giuseppe Grammatico. Okay, and welcome to the Franchise Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Giuseppe Gramatico, your franchise guide. And today we have a, I should say, very, very, very special guest as we've had David Barnett on the show now his third time. So that is the uh, the reigning champion as far as number of appearances. Uh, it's been now going on year three that we've had the show. So um, David does not need an introduction, but for for everyone that's new and Maybe first time uh, seeing the show. Uh, Quick little bio, Uh, David has been working with small businesses for over 20 years. He has helped them grow. He's helped entrepreneurs buy and sell them. He's helped people finance them as well. Uh, David is the author of seven books about small business transactions and local investing. Uh, He's also the host of the YouTube channel with hundreds of videos about buying, selling, financing, and managing businesses. David, welcome to the show. Uh, Giuseppe, I'm excited because I heard somewhere that if you appear on a show five times, you get a jacket and I'm, more, get than, I'm more than halfway there now. Jacket. Okay. We, we, we were going to say book, but all right, well, we <laughs> we can work on that. Actually, you know what? I can, I can use some A jacket that says franchise <laughs> freedom. That'd be awesome. With, with my face on the back. Yeah, that, that'll, that uh, I, I got to get some swag. So that, that gives me a good <laughs> idea to, to check out. So cool. Now, well, welcome, uh, welcome to the show. It's been a, it's a, been a pleasure having you on. You bring so much value. So I wanted to. Bring you back on again today. Well, it's good to be here, and I guess today we're going to be talking a little bit about someone who wants to get into business and what they can do to try to set themselves on the right path. Yes. Uh, be- before we even get into that, I'm going to include everything here in the show notes. So, last couple episodes, number one, which was the uh, the funny one, how we first met. Um, we're talking about your book, Franchise Warnings, and uh, essentially how not all franchise companies are built the same, what to look for uh, in in a franchise. The second one, which has been uh, probably our top downloaded episode has been about exit strategies. So uh, David talks. uh, That was about this book, right? How to sell my own business. Yes. Yes. So we could definitely add that to the, uh, maybe send me the link to that. We're going to, we can add that to the show notes as well. Uh, So we talked about how to go about selling your business and multiples and things like that. And David, David does work. For, a former business broker does uh, work with individuals looking to sell their business. And in some cases, as we've worked together on a few, uh, maybe talk someone out of selling their business by making some small tweaks to their business, which um, we just had recently, and uh, they have achieved some huge success. And then today we have our new topic. So uh, you want to you want to take it away because uh, the stage is yours here. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, I work with people who want to buy and sell
1: businesses and 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 not just franchises, also mm, independent course. businesses that aren't part of any network. But um, I realized when you and I were talking the other day that one of the exercises that I go through with people is just is equally applicable to someone who's exploring the world of franchises. And that is doing a, a self-analysis, self-audit mm. of skills and experiences to discover what areas or industries or types of businesses would be appropriate for someone. And so let let's let's start with what somebody might assume that means. It might they might assume that well if I worked at one point in a hardware business then maybe it means I should be buying a hardware business or a hardware franchise. It doesn't really mean that. What when I talk about self-analysis, I what I want people to do is actually sit down and look at all the different types of roles and positions they've had, whether paid employment or volunteer roles, et cetera, and start to make a list of the types of responsibilities and duties that they did. Because what we're we're doing is we're doing a skills assessment. And from that skills assessment, we can then extrapolate what other kinds of businesses might be suitable based on the types of things that the owner of that business would need to be doing every day. And so what's interesting about this kind of exercise is that often you start to paint the picture of a business that you are completely unfamiliar with, that you don't even know exists. Mm -hmm. And so when you uh, have done that analysis and then you go and you start looking at what's available out there, um, you can start to have some aha moments where you're like, hey, you know what? I never even thought of that type of business or that industry but I can see how the things that I've done are going to be very similar to what I will be doing
0: if I'm the owner of that business. Very, very, very good point. That's uh, so. so basically we're not even looking at the actual, you know, we're kind of reverse engineering it basically, which is similar to our process. Um, you know, a, a struggle or maybe not a struggle, but what we come across is people have these preconceived notions that, you know, they need tons of employees to have a big business and make lots of money. So when they, Paint that picture, right? We do that skills assessment uh, and figure out what the ideal business looks like. They'll be in shock that first off it exists, and secondly you don't need a brick and mortar to, to make money. You don't need twenty employees with that with high turnover. So I think it's getting past that, and sometimes it's for me it's, it's a couple conversations and kind of revisiting uh, to really go through and and say. You have options. There, there are thousands and thousands of different franchises, as there are, you know, plenty of more with other other types of businesses. Putting all that aside, let's just figure out what works for you, ideally, and then let's see if it, if it exists. And if it does, what are some examples?
1: Well, and and um, I mean, you highlighted something there where you talked about how someone doesn't need to have a big business, for example. Um, one of the other bits of of work that I do with my clients who are on the on the buying track is we take a look at the the problem they're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. And, and most people don't think of it like that. But but really what someone has is they have a vision of the future, of what their life is going to be like, what their day-to-day is going to be like. And they're trying to get into some kind of business vehicle as a way of getting to that destination. So the mm-hmm. business that they get into, uh, buying, starting franchise or, or whatever it is, needs to be able to to then turn their life into that ideal state. So if you, if you have your self-assessment mapped out and you have an idea of what the end state should look like, well, that then starts to narrow down the different options, right? And I've had many people who tell me that, you know, they've been in businesses before where they had a lot of employees reporting to them, they didn't like personnel problems, they'd rather have a smaller staff or what have you. Uh, well, you know, if you know what you want it to look like, you can, you're gonna far more easily head in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And what's great about, you know, the modern world is that there are so many components of things within a business that even can be outsourced. You know, that w- one of the easiest, of course, is like the bookkeeping and the accounting kind of thing, right? Uh, but there are other areas too that can be outsourced. And so really knowing what you're good at and what you want to spend your time doing can help you narrow down that that scope. I mean, when people come and talk with you, Giuseppe, how many different franchise companies um, Brands? Are you have you got in your in your catalog
0: right now? We work with hundreds hundreds of companies that have all been pre-screened by uh, by the company I'm with, uh, Franchise.
1: Yeah, so that's I mean that's a huge catalog. A lot. That's a lot. To me, that's like sitting down at a travel agent with a big book of resorts, Mm -hmm. right? It's like where do you start? Well, they're going to take you through that journey. They're going to be like, well, do you like the beach or do you like the jungle or do you like cultural, you know? things like in cities or whatever and they're going to guide you through that right and and that's the same kind of thing that we're talking about here
0: and helping people figure out what that roadmap is to to make that match and and to your point sometimes the the product uh you know what the company is generating whether it's a product or service um it there's there's no relation to the the role of the owner so Mm -hmm. i always say something extreme like a mosquito spraying franchise they never want you spraying or touching the chemical ever. They'll, you'll go through the training of what that looks like. But when you think of mosquito spraying, you think of, okay, mosquitoes spraying door to door, you know, getting lots of calls. But ultimately, the role, you know, who that person, who, who that business is right for is someone that networks at the Chamber of Commerce and can educate the community of the dangers of West Nile virus, the dangers of ticks, because they also do tick spraying. So, it's really completely separate from, and, and, but then you may get another franchise that's a mosquito spraying and that franchise company wants you to be the the the, the person actually going out and being the technician. So each company is gonna have a, a different ideal franchise avatar as we kind of call it in our business as to who's, who's the right fit. Um, with that being said, so we, we talked about this assessment. So what happens, I, I know what I do, but just I'm, I'm curious uh, on your end, someone does the assessment and then you come back and say, okay, you're in this, you're, you're on wall street. You're making lots of money or you're in the financial services. You're making lots of money on in, in the investment side. Um, not happy, you know, you, that you want more f- uh, financial freedom, et cetera, et cetera, time freedom. And they're looking at a business. Wh- what about, you know, what are the red flags where you kind of come back and say, you know what, this has been great. I learned a lot about you, but I don't think a business is the right fit based off of some of the feedback such as you're very risk adverse and you're 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 constantly talking about maybe losing your investment so how do you how do you approach that for someone that may in the back of your mind may not be a good fit for for owning a business well it's interesting because what i what i have found
1: and again i deal mostly with people who are buying existing businesses is that you know people will make their own determinations of 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 what their issues are like mm-hmm. risk aversity. Okay. Right. And so the risk averse nature of an individual is going to frame what they're willing to do in order to acquire the business or acquire the cash flow. And so somebody who looks at it and sees all the, all the dangers, right. They're probably going to want to mitigate those risks either with a lower price or with, you know, some kind of uh, terms in the, in the purchase agreement that's going to offset some of that risk against the seller. Well, if they're, level of risk tolerance is quite low. It means that they're going to be often making offers and presenting opportunities to those sellers that Mm -hmm. might be less attractive, less attractive than what other buyers are, are willing to do. Right. And so they'll get squeezed out of the market for the businesses that are more sought after. And then they'll either have to become more creative in their search, finding the right kind of business where there is not a lot of competition, where an, an offer like the kind they're willing to offer will be accepted. Or they're gonna realize that if they don't do more or offer more, they're probably not gonna get what they want. And that's usually at the point where someone says, well, you know what? I don't think I would want it if I had to go that far. Mm-hmm. And then, and and sort of the market is kind of transmitting that feedback to them that maybe they're not in the right place to do a deal. Right. And so it's it's a little bit different than, than your scenario where when somebody makes the decision, they're going to see what the investment is, and it's go or no go. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of the scenarios that I'm dealing with, there is a counterparty who won't take the the offer if it is too low. Right, and you know, to get back to your point about people who have a misunderstanding of what being the owner is going to be like, I'll tell you, I've seen that the most in things like like restaurant food businesses, where people fall in love with you know, there's a Breakfast food franchise that I'm thinking of that we have a lot of locations here near where I live, Um, and uh, people will fall in love with the meals Mm -hmm. and then decide that they should own one, right? Right. (laughs) Not not realizing that the owner's job is not to sit around and eat the food all day. The the owner's job is to run a tightly managed assembly line of made-to-order meals. It's it's literally a factory, right? In the back, in the kitchen there, right? And the orders are coming in and they're being assembled and made and everything's got to be in place and everything's got to be there. And you have to deal with the employee who's sick and doesn't show up and you have to deal with, you know, the irate customer who's upset for some reason or somebody's coffee got spilled and mm-hmm. someone needs to grab the mop and everyone's hands are full and guess what? It's you, right? And and so I've seen that a lot where people will get into that scenario and then they'll come to me because they want to sell a business mm. and I'll ask them, how do you how why did you get into this? Right. And it'll be well. I love the food, right? And and maybe it's that razor guy who started all of that back on TV. You know, he loved their shave so much he bought the company. I mm-hmm. forget who that guy was. Remington was it Remington? Yeah, I think so. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That if you love the food, don't buy the restaurant.
0: You, you can own a, a, another business, make a ton of money, and buy all the food you want. So I, I always say, I always say, you don't, you know, you're not missing out on, on much. But that that is a very good point because sometimes I'll just say. Give me the ideal business and then we'll compare it to what you've looked at. And let, let, let's compare it side by side. Number of employees, the investment. You didn't want retail, the headaches of retail, but a restaurant is going to be in a physical location. So you suck it up. All of a sudden, the business is the complete opposite of, of what you're looking at. So some people, even going, going through that process, they're still not 100% convinced. And I'll say, all right, well, who do you know that owns a restaurant? Mm-hmm. I know my cousin or, you know, my distant cousin or a friend or a friend of a friend. Okay. When's the last time you talked to him? I saw him two Christmases ago. Great. Why don't you buy him lunch, travel, you know, anything. Maybe you can assist him in the kitchen, get firsthand experience and ask him, not the business, you know, the business they're in, it's a restaurant. It's pretty straightforward, but what is, what? what's the owner's role? What is he doing? What is he going through? Maybe, maybe you stay with him for the week. It is the best education, the, the best experience. and maybe it's not the exact brand you were looking at, but you'll get an idea of what a typical business uh, restaurant owner's day is like. And I think if you did that alone, that should help because you're seeing it firsthand versus it, you know maybe coming from URI. So um, I, I think uh, that's the advice I give at least. You know, it's, it's
1: interesting because in my experience, people get into business because they're looking to solve their own problem through helping other people solve their problems. If you think any business is solving a problem for someone in exchange for money, that's, that's what they're there for, right? I'm hungry. These guys will sell me food. My car needs to be repaired. That guy will fix it, you know, for money. And so business people in general are service oriented and, and they, you know, they're out there to make their customers happy and everything. And I've always found that if you approach a business owner even if it's a stranger, and you are genuine and open, and you you say like you know I'm thinking about getting into business, and I was wondering if I could you know take you out to lunch just as you suggested, um, a surprisingly large number of them will be open to being helpful, especially if there is some kind of affinity connection between the two of you. Mm-hmm. So what do I mean by that? Well, you know in the in today's age of LinkedIn, you can very quickly find out people that went to your same college, mm-hmm. your same high school. You can, find it, you can find people through like an organization like your church or if you're a member of Rotary Club or, or something mm-hmm. of that nature. And you can even find people in the same industry you're thinking about getting into sometimes in the next town or the next city over where you're not going to be a competitor of theirs. You can say, hey, um, you know, I live an hour and a half from you. I'm thinking about getting into this industry. I see you're in the business. Right. Uh, would you mind if I came and met with you and just talked with you a little bit about it so I have a good understanding of what I get, what I'm getting into and And you can be very surprised at how people will respond to you um, and and in my experience, it's always been a very open kind of response
0: yeah and 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 a big part of that, you know you're you're being genuine, right? You're finding that link. but you know, when you're spending the time, be respectful uh, of their time and, and just be just be informed or ready with with some questions as to not what's the uh, what's in the ingredients in this dish. But specifically, what what are you doing? What do you like? What don't you like? I, I tell I tell everyone I, uh, that works with me, ask the franchise owners, knowing what you know now, would you do it all over again? Did they step up during COVID? There's so many questions yeah. you can uh, and I think asking those better questions and it's a much, much different conversation, let's be honest, if you're having that face to face on the job versus versus a phone call or or maybe a podcast, not not that we're not having an honest conversation, but you they they may be a little bit more open to to feedback and saying this isn't a bad gig. This is what I do. But knowing what I know now, if I had to redo it, I would have maybe just kept everything the same, but just had a Maybe no, di- no, uh, I-, I talk to restaurant owners all the time. I'm just going to get, you know, if I had to do it all over and with COVID, I'm just going to get rid of the dining room and just do takeout. That's our new form. And it's much, much less headaches, much less employees and much higher profit margins. So, um, so that way, you know, the role is in line. Yes, he's doing a little bit more with the dining room. But if you had to do all over again, you're kind of fast forwarding and saying, okay, I'm learning here. If I, if I, if I do get a restaurant, it has to be takeout only. So. Um, there's some really, really good takeaways there. And I think that's a a great starting point is just talk to the people, you know, and you'll be, I think, blown away at their, at their honesty and how much you can start, you know, information gathering you can get and not make the same mistakes, uh, they made. Um, yeah. Well, and and I think an important question when you talk to someone in in an industry is what is changing?
1: Hmm. You just mentioned COVID and restaurants, and we can all see that that's, you know, been a big thing for a lot of people in a lot of uh a lot of jurisdictions. Right. Um but you know, the other big things that are changing for those guys are like these delivery apps, right? That's changing the numbers, changing the way people interact with that industry. Mm-hmm. Um, another another method that people don't really talk much about uh are books. You know, once upon a time, almost every bit of knowledge that was ever passed around was in the form of a book. Mm-hmm. And you can be amazed at what sort of things you can find if you, if you just go searching certain keywords on Amazon and you can often find books about certain industries or the business in a certain industry. Um, It it just takes a little bit of effort and time to, to go through that material. Mm -hmm. And what's what I find interesting anyway, is I sometimes like to read business books that are from like the eighties and nineties and, and just see how things have changed. Right. You know, sometimes you can get some good ideas from those books, too, that are
0: maybe ready to come around again. A lot of the principles don't change. We, we, we just had a show this morning on marketing in a double uh, uh, in grad school, double concentration uh, major in uh, fine, investing and in marketing. And we didn't have social media then. But a lot of the principles are exactly the same. It's this the concept of, of um, h to h uh, human to human. Yeah. marketing we we forget that and we talked about when you when you go to an event you shake someone's hand you make eye contact you remember their name um you know you you ask about them it's just it's it's natural right whereas in linkedin what happened to making that connection now it's a five paragraph pitch on my company and here's my calendly link and you're like <laughs> who are you? See, you? Like
1: <laughs> You see, I like it when people do that, because then I know immediately who to remove
0: the connection <laughs> <Right>. from. <laughs> well, well, there you go. See, you got there, there. There's a positive point <laughs> to that. And a very, very good point for everyone listening. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, but it, it's true. I think sometimes we forget or we treat the internet differently than, uh, being in person. And, and this is, this is the new future, right? You know, people yeah. say, are things going to go back to normal? I, I think there's a new normal. We're always evolving and changing and, you know video podcasts and zoom that's not going away. I mean in person isn't going away, but I think there's going to be this this shift as we realize, hey, we could be productive at home. Hey, we don't ha- we could do 20 zoom meetings a week as opposed to maybe five in person. Maybe it's a combination of the two. So, I think it's the uh, the new the new norm and we just have to roll with how things are changing.
1: Hey, let me ask you a question. You're you're in touch with a lot of these franchise brands. I know that Traditionally, most franchisors would have like an annual conference or meeting mm. that, you know, all the unit holders would attend. Um, I'm guessing some of them went virtual there in 2020. Have, ha, are some of them remaining virtual or are they all kind of going back to in-person now? Uh,
0: so, some are uh, still virtual. Um, so what we've seen is with the conferences, they're toying with the idea of um, maybe instead of one conference a year, doing one in-person and one virtual So essentially adding that the second uh, change is uh, typically when you right before you buy a franchise, there's a meet the team or confirmation Mm -hmm. or discovery day. There's multiple names and uh, they're offering in many cases uh, two options, virtual one day or two day um, in person um, to make it convenient. And and just because not just because of, of covid. Some people are are working, so they'll do the virtual in the in the evening as they're going to be keeping their job and and running the business. But um, definitely, I don't think virtual is replacing it, but it's been an add on to, you know, to offer additional conferences and meetings. So. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, that's 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 kind of the the new norm, but it it makes it a lot easier. I know it's hard to travel. People have families and um, it's hard to get away for a week for for a conference when you have a family. So. Um, what, what didn't we touch on? We, we, we touched on kind of quite a bit, um, a topic that comes up. I don't want to, I don't want to stray too, too far off, but one, one topic. And I know we, and, and maybe we reserve this for another show. You, you tell me, but I I think that comes up a lot is, you know, we, we do resales as well, right? If there's sometimes when we, we check an area for a particular franchise, um, maybe not an a, an active listing, but someone is, we just had this, someone is was looking to retire. We had a buyer in that market and now they're kind of having the conversation, but now the buyer is coming back saying, well, you know, how do I know, you know, I, I have the books and we can't predict the future just like you can't predict with, with a new franchise. You could do so much information and historical numbers and things like that. But, you know, how do I know I'm, I'm, I'm getting a good buy versus, but just, Paying much less and buying a brand new franchise. Um, one of the episodes we talked about multiples is a two multiple good is a three multiple good. And uh, depending on the industry and the volume, but that's a, that's a question we've been getting quite a bit. Can I walk into this business, you know, maybe pay a, a generating a hundred thousand a year. So I'm paying 300 to, to, to generate a hundred thousand in income, or am I better off, you know, starting from scratch can you, can you touch on that? That's probably a whole show, yeah. but that's a very popular. So, so I won't, I won't touch on the multiple because the multiple varies by industry. Correct.
1: And, it, and then within every industry, it also varies by the size of the subject company that you're looking at. And so as businesses um, get larger, the multiples get bigger. Mm-hmm. And that's because you normally have uh, different levels of management within the business, supervisors, managers, et cetera, that will survive the transition. Mm-hmm. One, one of the big reasons why small businesses have relatively low multiples is because all the leadership talent departs in the moment of the sale mm-hmm. and the buyer has to take that role on. And so, so you're not buying a big part of what makes a business, a company go, which is the leader, right? When you have the bigger company, you're getting a lot of those people that are going to be staying, sticking around and helping mm-hmm. the new owner. So the multiples can vary widely and, and in service businesses that, have a lot of competition and low margins, they can be below two, right? And in other businesses where there's a greater relationship with the customers, they're stickier, maybe there's contractual relationships, the multiple can grow up above two. Mm-hmm. But um, here's what what I will always say, is that if you open a new business, one of the first things you have to secure is customers. Mm. And presumably the people that you're trying to reach are already getting whatever it is you're doing from someplace else. So not only do you have to find customers, but you have to convince them that they should then bring their business to you. Mm. And, and that's the hard part. That's, that's why the small business failure rate is, is as high as it is, is because you've got to convince people to leave someone else. Sometimes if we're talking about physically located businesses, you just happen to be more convenient for some people than where they were going before and they're happy to switch. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where like the idea of location being so important is comes from. Um, But for other people, you know, you might have to offer some kind of incentive or promotion or enticement of some kind to get those customers to move over. And then you have to somehow get them back up to the regular pricing schedule so you can make some money. So the difficulty in getting the clientele is what is the biggest hurdle when you start something new. Mm. If you buy something that already exists, even if it's not doing as well as you would like it to. You've at least you're starting off at some midpoint, some base Mm -hmm. where you do have clients. Right. And so it should be easier to build upon. There are situations where maybe that base of clientele isn't so good. So I'll give you an example. You could have an opportunity to buy a business and the current owner hasn't raised prices in 10 years. Mm -hmm. And you say, Wow, I could buy this business and I could raise prices. However, what the clientele of that business is likely made up of is people who went looking for the lowest price, right? Right. right. And 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 so that's it's it's a it's actually a marketing problem because if you think, uh, Giuseppe, you remember with the marketing mix, the five Ps: product,
0: place, price, promotion.
1: Product. I had then? three.
0: Uh, yeah, I yeah. I, I know there was three. I didn't realize there was five.
1: I I (laughs) talked a bit of maybe it changed. (laughs) Anyway, I always throw in another one called tea time, Mm. because sometimes there's a mismatch in a market between when someone wants something and something is available, Mm. right? And that can affect those other things. So you need to look at what is the marketing mix of this business and how does it compare with its competitors and and is there something about the current marketing mix that makes the clientele Mm. not as lucrative or not as attractive? right Right? and so so that's this is all part of the analysis that someone goes into when they go to look at a business and the the key thing though is that if you're going to buy a business is that you need to know how to run the business Mm. and you should have some knowledge about that industry whether it's from having been in it before or through doing your own research and i mean this is part of the value proposition that franchises offer is that they are setting you up with the systems and that they've done the market research and all this other kind of stuff, right, to help you out. Um, I know because I've handled a few franchise resales before, I know that sometimes people will find a franchise that they really like, but they're afraid of what you just said. I'm afraid that if I start it, the sales won't be Mm -hmm. as good as they're supposed to be. And that's when they open up their mentality to the idea of buying an existing location. Right. And they, they can become quite adept at understanding the, the metrics and tools within that network. So I, I've met people before who wanted to buy a certain brand of business and they've been to the franchise or they've been through the discovery day. They understand the weekly and monthly reports, perhaps that the franchise system uses to, to monitor the locations. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of stuff that they want when they go looking at one of these because they're ready to look at and underwrite that business in the same way that that the franchise or will. Okay. And if it's a big enough franchise system, there are even lenders sometimes out there that will use those same internal reports as
0: part of their underwriting. Hmm. Interesting. What what um when we look at the, you know, with the franchise obviously there's a territory uh, that you're going to be investing in uh, versus just a, a a startup, right? With your business you can go as wide as you'd like. So but sticking with a with a franchise, the question comes up is, you know, we know what 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 the the EBITDA is. We know what the seller's discretionary earnings. We've done all that analysis, but at the end of the day, how do I know how saturated this market is? Um, mm-hmm. has this market hit capacity? How do how do we start figuring that out because that that's another thing that that's come up recently. It's like, okay, it's doing really well, but is there really room to grow within this market? am I am I buying this business to to, to remain flat? You know is that is there is there an easier way to to do that analysis because it gets a little tricky.
1: Well, it's it's a multifaceted problem. Hmm. so so the very first thing you have to look at is who are the competitors and what are their ranges? Mm -hmm. So if you're talking about an urban area, you could have multiple franchise territories from the same franchise or, for example. Right. You want to see if if you're penned in, you know, are you surrounded by other people? If you are, then you could be probably pretty certain that your market isn't going to fluctuate geographically. But if you're not penned in, then the question is, is there territory leakage? Are you doing business with people who are not in your territory, who, who are in a potential territory? Right. That could be awarded to someone else down the road. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's one thing to consider. And then, you know, who are the other competitors? So, you know, are there other franchise brands that are servicing your same area Mm. and are there independents and what do they look like? So, you know, depending on the type of business you're talking about, you know, you check out their websites, maybe you call them up, maybe you get pricing, you figure out, create some kind of analysis you know service and price axes and you start to plot these Mm -hmm. different companies figure out where you are compared to where they are Mm -hmm. and and sometimes you can actually figure out what those other companies might be doing as far as business um give you an example i i was working with a gentleman who wanted to acquire hvac companies and what he would do is he would go like on sundays and he would go and visit the different yards where the businesses were, because they were generally closed. Right. He would count the service vans. Hmm. Or he would start to record their license plate numbers. And then he would go at different times in the week and see if any new ones showed up. Because sometimes the employees of those businesses take their vans home right, right if they're on call. And so after visiting over a period of time, he'd have a pretty good idea of how hmm. many service trucks were working from that office. And then through his research, he figured out approximately how much business one vehicle would handle in a year doing service calls Mm, and he he guessed how big these different competitors were and how much market share they had. And so if you're buying a business, then you figured out, Hey, this business has three quarters of the market. It's gonna be tough to grow. Right. It's gonna be really tough to grow. But if you've only got 10 or 15% of the market, there's plenty of people that you can chip away or or compete to get clients from. Um, You know, and and a lot of the times, you know, it's not that we necessarily win over customers. Sometimes our competitors do things to help lose customers, mm-hmm. and and it's about being there and ready to serve that new person right. to to bring them into the fold with you uh, over trying to lure them away. And again, that that varies by industry mm-hmm. and and just how tight your relationship is. I know um, I've got a a pretty modern furnace, you know, a natural gas furnace mm-hmm. and. You know, companies try all the time to get me on these maintenance plans, but in the seven years I've owned it, I keep replacing the air filter. I've only had one thing break and I called, you know, a service company. They came and fixed it and I paid them. So I've never seen the need personally to have a service plan, right? And, you know, the next time it breaks, I'll probably call that same company again. But if they tell me I can't be there for four days... Well, then, you know I'm going to be shopping around. So, right. so what is the relationship you have with your customers? Just how sticky are they? And um, those are the types of things you have to analyze. So, it's not an easy question. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would want to be in something that would give an opportunity to grow. And if there isn't that opportunity for organic growth, the next question would be: Is there an opportunity to grow through acquisition? Right are sure. there some, yeah. Are there some independence that I could acquire? right and bring their clients in or or is there a neighboring territory perhaps that I could acquire or or a neighboring franchisee who might be approaching retirement age who I might be able to acquire a certain number of years into the future
0: which which, which by the way has been the kind of the number one strategy i'm i'm not even seeing the listings in many cases it's just one neighboring franchise buying out the other it's much cleaner transaction it's simpler they know the model already been approved by the franchisor, or so when, when people ask are there resales with many of the companies you work with if they're they're seldom because they're just being acquired from before the listing is e- is even made a- available so that that's a very good point
1: yeah and, and a lot of these people know each other sometimes mm-hmm. well if, especially if there's like a
0: metro ad co-op program running or something that right and they will be talking with each other right And I I always say become friends with your neighbors anyway, because, uh, you know, with the same same franchise, even 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 if it's a non-franchise, because you may have uh, to share an employee, maybe you're shorthanded for a a large job or you want to combine your marketing efforts. So it's always uh, it's always good practice to kind of meet your your neighbors. And uh, you never know what that relationship will look like. So what um, anything else we didn't cover? And I I definitely want to, you know, um, have you kind of. Give all your contact information, which we'll include in the show notes, um, getting very clear as to uh, how people can reach you. But who who is, you know, you know, who is the right person? Who is kind of your ideal um, uh, client? If you want to either jump into that or.
1: Well, well, I think that, um, you know, to get back to the self-analysis part, I think that one of the exercises that people can do is they can sit down and describe what their day to day will be like in their ideal business scenario. Mm-hmm. So what will you be doing? Will mm-hmm. you be dealing with employees? Will you be talking to customers? Will you be um, handling marketing things on the internet? Like what what will, you, will your day be filled with? Mm-hmm. Because imagining a satisfactory day-to-day is going to be a big part of picking the right opportunity, no matter what it is. And so often, as we mentioned before, people will get into things without having properly thought through what it is they'd be doing every day. And there is nothing as illiquid an asset as a privately controlled business. You, You can buy one today and you can have it perfectly happily running and profitable. And the next day decide you don't want it anymore. And it could be a two, three year journey to sell it to someone else. And so it, it really pays dividends to spend some time figuring out what exactly you want to make sure that you're going to be happy and fulfilled and, right. and find yourself in an enriching environment. Um, for most people in what we I call the main street space, so under half a million dollars a year of earnings, mm. the owner is the manager who runs the business. And so that day to day has got to be something that uh, you're going to enjoy, mm-hmm. um, that you're going to look forward to. Because the minute that the owner loses their enthusiasm and their vigor for the business, everyone else, employees, customers, yes. they're all going to feel it. And it will start to affect the top and bottom line of what's going on in that business. If, if the employees figure the owner doesn't care, it's very easy to stop returning customer calls and to stop going the extra mile to make sure that people are happy. And and that will then start to erode what you have. As soon as buyers start to see a downward trend, then remember how we talked about the risk that buyers see? Well, yeah. they're going to price the continuing downward trend into whatever they're willing to pay for your business. That's, that's not a scenario you want to end up in. You, you want to exit on a high mm-hmm. as things are growing and doing well and have other people be excited about what you've done and, and feel that they can continue on in your footsteps.
0: Very good point. I was kind of in that trap for a small period of time with my my last company. And I realized I was doing the things I didn't like doing. So I had hired a operations manager, which ended up being my uh, turn uh, promoted to our general manager kind of took over the entire business. So it does trickle down. So if you're you're getting beat up in the day to day, you know, as an owner, you can't be the best at everything. And that was a, a right. something I learned the hard way. You didn't learn that in school, but I thought I had to be the best at marketing and then hire the marketing person. Sometimes you just got to outsource or hire that person, unload it. They're going to do a much better job. They're going to be focused on one function of that business. But to your point, that is huge. It, it, the business has to be sustainable. Um, you are the leader of that business. Um, so, so basically, I'm answering the question for everyone. My neighbor owns a subway, makes tons of money, so I should buy one as well. Um, you may, may want to rethink that and talk to someone like myself or, or, or David, but um, that that is a, a, a really, really good point, which we don't talk enough about. And uh, I'm glad you brought that up.
1: Yeah. And I mean, uh, basically, I work with people who want to either buy a business or sell a business. And if people are just interested in business, period, um, come on over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com. I put up a new video every week based on questions that people submit. And my YouTube channel has about 500 videos. And you mentioned two of my books. I have seven. They're all on Amazon, and um, you know, reasonably priced. And if you're interested in buying, selling, financing, or managing a smaller, medium-sized business, come on over and join the conversation. There's there's all kinds of content there, and and you can enjoy it on audio too if
0: you prefer uh, uh, just listening on podcasts. Seven books. I, I just finished one. I got to, I got to work on my second. So you're, you you say business owner to business owner, you're motivating me to, to write the second one. So it's uh definitely a lot of work, but it's uh, it was, it was fun. It was, it was definitely a journey. David, I, again, I, I appreciate a three, three Pete here. Um, I, I just actually, while you were talking, I pulled up, uh, last episode and we recorded March of uh, 2021. So it's been, uh, just under oh, wow. uh, under a year. And uh, so maybe, maybe we'll make this an annual thing. So um, really enjoy the conversation. I, I personally learn a lot. And as I mentioned, there's a reason our, your shows have been one of the n- number one, uh, top one and two or, or, or first and third, actually. Uh, the franchise warnings that was in third place for the total number of downloads. So I appreciate it. Uh, I use your, your show for exit strategy. I just send out the link because... Um, It's 30 minutes and it covers quite a bit and anything over and beyond that. I have them go to your YouTube uh, YouTube channel. So uh, thanks again. It was a pleasure and looking forward uh, to having you on again. Awesome. Well, thanks, Giuseppe. It's always a lot of fun. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Whenever you're ready, here are three
2: ways Giuseppe can help. One, if you've ever considered owning a business of any kind, you owe it to yourself to get a copy of Giuseppe's book. Franchise Freedom. Download your free copy at ggthefranchiseguide.com slash book. Two, want to understand how successful executives make the transition from corporate to owning their own franchise? Join Giuseppe's next online presentation, Franchise Freedom, How to Escape the Corporate World and Have Financial and Time Freedom by Owning a Franchise by going to ggthefranchiseguide.com slash video. Three, want to work with Giuseppe one-on-one to identify the right franchise opportunity for you to navigate the process and get plugged into experienced franchising advisors? Send him an email to gg at ggthefranchiseguide.com with one-on-one in the subject and he'll send you all the details.